Welcome to the Manny Podcast. This is episode number five. Let's talk about the Bible, shall we? Let's dive on in. Colossians 1, verse 3 through 5. Paul writes, We always thank God, the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ, when we pray for you, since we heard of your faith in Christ Jesus and of the love that you have for all the saints because of the hope laid up for you in heaven. All right, let's compare notes. This is what, uh, this is what I've written, guys. Paul understands and has articulated a direct correlation between the hope laid up for the Colossians in heaven and their love for all the saints and their faith in Christ Jesus. He said they loved others and had faith in Christ Jesus because of the hope laid up for them in heaven. This hope must be powerful and persuasive. It has to be in order for the Colossians to so radically transform their hearts, minds, and way of life. I believe we can know the depths of what the hope is if we continue to read and study the letter. I believe the hope laid up for them in heaven refers to the rule of King Jesus over absolutely everything seen and unseen. That's the hope. This fact is a catalyst for abundant hope daily and forever for those who call upon Jesus' name. This is the living hope that we have, and it produces glorious fruit moment by moment, both now and forever, both in this life and the life to come. Jesus himself, who is alive As we speak, as you listen, as I talk, he's alive right now. He is our living hope. If you go on to verses 9 to 14, chapter 1, Paul further reveals the hope of the Christian person when he prays directly for the Colossian Christians. Now, here's a question. Where is Paul's hope? The answer is in God himself. He says, we're asking God to fill you with the knowledge of what he wants in all spiritual wisdom and understanding. Did you catch that? We're asking God to fill you. This is God's work. What is important is the knowledge of what God wants. So Paul prays for the the Colossians to be filled by God himself with the knowledge of what God himself wants. Or we could say God's will. God himself must move within people to fill them with divine knowledge and revelation. So Paul says, I pray that you'll be given all possible strength according to to the power of his glory. What the Colossians need is what only God can give to them. Paul isn't pretending to have all the answers. However, he is confidently directing these folks 
to the source of all life and knowledge, which would be God himself, right? He's pointing them directly to where they need to go. Get past me, Paul says. I am simply a servant and go to the source. What do you need? What do you need, brothers? Go to God. Go to God. If whatever you need, go to him. He's the source. I will pray he will fill you with all you need moment by moment. This is what Paul's praying for him. This is our prayer for each other, even today. We need to know what God wants. I feel this deeply myself. I, I feel the strong desire to live worthy of the Lord, to give him real delight, to bear fruit in every good work, to grow in the knowledge of God. This has to be what it means to be alive and well. But we got to know him and we got to know what he wants. This is true growth and understanding. And this has to be a vision of a different way of living than we have ever known. This way of life requires all possible strength from God himself. This is what Paul is referring to. This is the the vision he's laying out here. It's this different way of life, this kingdom of God kind of life. And, And But in order to get there, we've got to have all possible strength from the source of strength, God. And he will give it to us. So why do you think that's the prayer? Let me compare notes. It's what I think I could see from the text. And, you know, go there and see if you could see it also. I think... uh, I think we need all possible strength from God because of our transference from the power of darkness into the kingdom of his beloved son. We are day by day, moment by moment, being led by God's spirit as his sons and daughters out of the power of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son. And so that transition, that transference out of darkness into light will take God-sized power, will take God-ordained revelation and wisdom and strength. And this is what Paul's prayer consists of for us and for the Colossians and for all those who would believe because of his witness. The differences between the power of darkness, and the kingdom of Jesus have to be stark. There's a difference. We will need all possible strength and glorious power from God himself to help us understand the change of power over our lives. This has to be the case considering all we have ever known is the power of darkness, right? Everything we see the culture, the governments, the administrations, the, the programs, the institutions, everything is a part of 
this power of darkness. And everything we know has been created and has turned into this culture, right? So under the power of darkness and the administration of the power of darkness, we've lived in what we can see and what we know. And so we need this power to transfer out of all of that and into the new. So look at Paul's prayer and I'll just break this down a little bit in my notes here, but it consists of the request for three things. Number one, the knowledge of God's will and desire. Number two, he requests for divine strength to be given to the Colossians. And number three, he requests thankfulness of heart towards God's action on our behalf. That you would be thankful for this, for for the power of God resting on your life to get you away from darkness and towards the lasting kingdom of his son. The basis of God's action for us is the redemption, forgiveness of sins in Jesus the beloved. So what did he do for us? If the basis for what he did was the redemption, so what Jesus' death on the cross, that was the basis of God acting on our behalf. But what did he do? He delivered us from the power of darkness and transferred us into the kingdom of his beloved son. That's what he did. I, I can't get the thought out of my head that the gospel message is essentially a declaration of the end of the rule of humanity by dark powers through the rescue of the Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit. I'm going to say that again. I can't get the thought out of my head that the gospel message is essentially a declaration of the end of the rule of humanity by dark powers through the rescue of the Trinity. Now, right, since the resurrection of Jesus, now humanity is under the leadership and administration of the good shepherd and king, Jesus himself, right? Go back. We've been transferred out of the kingdom of darkness and into the kingdom of his beloved son, in whom we have forgiveness, redemption of sins. So now, Jesus is the ruler and authority over everything we see and don't see. We're under his administration. At the moment, it appears the good government of Jesus is not being forced on anyone, right? Because a lot of what we see is still dark. So Jesus isn't forcing his administration on anyone, it seems. Uh, This means or seems to mean folks are allowed by Jesus himself to remain enslaved to darkness in its administration if they desire to. This seems to be the explanation for the present day, right? The gospel then is a declaration of what has historically taken place, namely a transference of government and power from the top down with Jesus, the Messiah, being the one at the top of the food chain, at the top of the power structure, 
the top of the hierarchy. Jesus, the good shepherd, rose from the dead, took captivity captive, and now is above all rule and authority. He's in charge. If you move on to verses 15 to 20, Paul just states, man, who is this great king? Let me tell you, he's the image of the invisible God, the firstborn of all creation. For by him all things were created, things in heaven and on earth, visible and invisible, whether thrones or dominions or rulers or powers, all things were created through him and for him. He just goes on in this hymn of of uh, doxology on the goodness and greatness and truth of Jesus. He's in charge now. Verses 21 to 23. It's this, you know, this question, this internal question that I think all of us have, and I think the Colossians had, especially because they were considered uh, Gentiles by the Jewish people. But, and it's this question, like, are, so he's this king now. He's the one that's above everything. And am I, am I under his rule? You know, am I under his administration? Am I his, his beneficiary or, or am I his enemy? Jesus accomplished reconciliation in order that he may bring us to holiness in his presence. The administration of Jesus toward us is to this end, is to the end that we would become holy and like him and good. All of his power, love, grace, resources, all will be levied to accomplish our becoming holy as he is holy. And make no mistake, brothers, this is what he's about. Our holiness. And so herein lies our hope. Our hope is very precise. No speculations any longer, right? You can know a lot about a person by pinpointing the object of their hope. Our hope is that Jesus of Nazareth is the king. And we are living with every breath under his administration of grace and love and authority and power. And we will need all of it to get out from under the old and into the new. You feel that? It's our hope. The resurrected Christ is our hope. And he is our deliverer. He's alive right now. And he lives to grant us newness of life. He's our champion. That's it for today. Man. I'll be blessed, everybody. And just meditate on hope. Pinpoint your hope. And don't settle for mud pies in the slums when a holiday at the sea is being offered to you. 
just because you cannot imagine that kind of an offer and what it entails. That's the offer. The holiday at the sea is the offer that Jesus gives to you and I. Love you.